right, we are back here, episode 118 of the Pineapple Couch with B-Rob. Today is Friday, October 1st, and I hope everyone had a good week. And let's slide into the weekend. Let's slide into the weekend with a little Pineapple Couch action. Got a good show for everyone today. I'm going to be talking about my five biggest takeaways from the NFL season. Read one of the most insane Facebook statuses I've ever seen in my life. Ben Simmons drama, talk about Peyton Manning and Eli, NFL power rankings, week four's biggest games, best bets, and later in the show, Peter Gonzalez will join me to talk Marvel, specifically, what if, the animated show that's been on there, and we're heading into the finale next week. So stay tuned, going to be a fun show, episode 118. Let's ride. All right, well, the five biggest takeaways here from the first three weeks of the NFL. Obviously a little biased because you guys know who I'm a fan of, but I think I spread it around the league pretty well. So my biggest takeaway is Justin Herbert. Um, The Chargers coming off a gigantic win against the Chiefs that uh, really pumped me up in terms of what I think the future for this team can be, the expectations. I will admit, yes, they are the Chargers, and so they are destined to let me down at a point, but that might not be the case with a guy like Justin Herbert. I think it's not insane to say, in my biased mind, outside of Patrick Mahomes, I don't know how, if you're starting a team, if you take Herbert, right? He's the clear number two choice. I mean, shown love to my guy, Josh Allen, the stallion, too. But, I mean, to me, I'm at the point where I'm like, fuck it. I'll take Herbert over Mahomes. He's my guy. I'll ride with him. And that sounds crazy, I know. But just think about what we saw from his rookie season. It was unbelievable. Think about the poise we've seen out of him this season and how, really, he has a couple picks, and none of them are his fault. They're all tipped passes, fuck-ups by the wide receiver. But he is so in control of this offense. The balls that Brandon Staley has to keep Justin Herbert on the field in fourth downs to not just kick the field goal and trust the kicking game and let have him go score with Mike Williams Mike Williams another guy who has been out of control good this year and that is because he's finally for the first time in his career allowed to run a route other than a streak because the stupid frog Anthony Lynn didn't know how to use him and we're seeing that he is an elite talent the the type of talent that we thought he could be coming out of Clemson in the draft um I will say on the note of the clock management by Brandon Staley towards the end of that Chiefs game, holy fuck, that was not great. I mean, we won, so I will take it, but scary. Scary, you never want to leave Patrick Mahomes that much time. Um, And look at we scored the touchdown, our kicker still missed extra points, so that's what you're dealing with with the Chargers always. So, I mean, I don't like leaving that amount of time for Mahomes, but... At the same time, we won the game, so I'm not too boned about that. But I feel confident that the Chargers have a quarterback where you don't want to leave time on the clock for him. Justin Herbert, I got him at plus 2,500, I believe, for MVP. I don't know what he is now, but um, he is legit. The rivalry we're going to have between Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert in the AFC West for the next 10 or so years should be amazing. And we should be thankful for that. And keep in mind, I'm talking only about the Chargers and Chiefs. The Chargers are third in the AFC West, two and one. Chiefs, last, one and two. Meanwhile, the Raiders and the Broncos leading the AFC West. Let's pull up the AFC West standings really here. 
quickly here, folks. Um, because, yeah, you have two undefeated teams in the Raiders and Broncos. Chargers, Raiders, big, big Monday night football game to um, to for the, for the early maybe – I don't know. see folks what I'm trying to say is like I think that this Raiders Chargers game has huge implications for how the rest of the season goes I know it's a long season but this could maybe whoever wins this game my opinion might jump out to the early favorite in the AFC West keep in mind the Chiefs have only lost two games and they could go 15 and two so who knows but this is a massive game between the Chargers and Raiders on Monday night gonna be watching it with our boy Kyle Castaneda from the couch um, on Monday so we might have some content 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 Coming out with that, um, my with the Raiders though, guys. I mean, how many times have we seen them do this? Start off strong. I mean, shit. Was it last year they started like six and two or something? And I believe we were talking on the pod like we were kind of penciling the Raiders in because like, oh no, they can't choke that much. We've seen the Raiders do have that ability to choke, and so I don't want to overreact on them like we have in years past. Kind of when they get out to these hot starts, Derek Carr has looked very, very good. But don't you guys feel we have this Derek Carr conversation once a year where he has a couple good games in the beginning, and it's like, oh, my God, Derek Carr is so underrated. He is an elite quarterback. quarterback. And then by the end of the season, he fucks up so much that he goes into the next season underrated. Hopefully the same thing happens because fuck the Raiders, go Chargers. Uh, On to the NFC West here, folks. The Rams with a huge, huge win over the Buccaneers, almost said Patriots, but I didn't, Um, and the Rams, what they can do, they have arguably the two best defensive players in football, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, that combo, while they are, they do play different positions, kind of reminds me of like having Ed Reed and Ray Lewis on the same team, you're going to be a problem if you have that type of talent on the defensive end, and the Rams are very dangerous, folks, I think the Rams should be the number one team in the NFL based on power rankings. I have the power rankings. We'll get into them later. I believe the Rams are number one on NFL.com, but I would say they should be number one. Matt Stafford experiment (laughs) in LA has been fantastic, putting him in a better situation than Detroit. Sorry, Steven. I know that's tough for you to hear, but holy shit, Matt Stafford kind of looks like what we always thought he could look like in not a shitty situation. The relationship him and Cooper Cup have is fucking awesome. Folks, I got to tell you the story too. I know no one cares about fantasy football, my fantasy football team, but in one of my leagues, Keeper League, I traded uh, Devontae Smith, the rookie for the Eagles, and Antonio Brown, and a pick, first round pick. And keep in mind, the picks for this league, it's only rookies each year. It's a Keeper League. So I got Trey Lance with that pick this year. So, yes, that's nice for the future, but I don't believe in those picks, right? So I trade Devontae Smith, Antonio Brown, and a pick to get Cooper Cup. I get roasted, roasted, folks, in the group chat of the fate. Like, people I don't even really know that well on the other side of the league saying how they need to veto this trade because I made such a dumb trade. Me, B-Rob, the guy on the pineapple couch, made such a dumb trade that they need to veto it because I'm too stupid is what they thought. (laughs) Folks, um, Cooper Cup is the number one wide receiver in fantasy football. I am undefeated, and um, I have kind of ruined my league's group chat because this is a league of uh, work people. So it's a little more, it's not as like professional, I guess, as if I'm in my league with like Big Dog and Eric, stuff like that. I ruined the league chat because all I do is post memes of Cooper Cup, and these people just can't handle it, I guess. But 
I mean, that was just a glorious moment for me. So back to the Rams and the NFC West. The Rams are as legit as it comes. They should be the favorite to make it out of the NFC so far. And yes, they should be the favorite to win this division. The rest of the division, though, we're pulling it up right now. Um, we got the Cardinals are also undefeated. Niners at 2-1 and one after the loss to the Packers. Seahawks at 1-2, and two, which is just weird. And keep in mind, folks, Niners at 2-1, and one, Seahawks at 1-2, and two, they play this week. Are the Seahawks going to fall to one and three? Russell Wilson's team to one and three? That would be something. Um, but when I'm looking at this division, I'm all in on the Rams. The Cardinals, I, they're good, but they, to me, they feel like they're a year away. Maybe this is the they're already here, and I'm a year off. But I just there's something about the Cardinals where. I just want to see it for a full season. Maybe I want to see Kyler just stay healthy a full season. We can see how that can work. But they're off to a great start. But still, for some reason, I have the Niners over the Cardinals in this division. Uh, Niners at 2-1. and one. Hell, they could drop to 2-2, two and two, and I still might keep this take. Because there's just the Niners are very, very well coached. And I'm taking Kingsbury. I don't think is that great of a coach in Arizona. And I just think Kyle Shanahan and the Niners are going to figure something out. Say what you want about Jimmy G. Did not play well. I get it. But they were right there. They were right there. So whether the question is if we can just get, or the Niners can just get a better performance out of Jimmy G, and their team is just good enough to where they'll win games, they don't need him to be a superstar, or if they're ready to make the switch to Trey Lance, they have a talented enough roster to do either or whatever. If Trey Lance, they know isn't ready, don't throw them out there because your team's good enough to compete this year with Jimmy G. But if Trey Lance is ready, send him on out there because Jimmy G has not looked amazing. Um, so that's NFC West. We talked about how the Niners lost last week. The third thing I have is the Packers here on my five biggest takeaways. Aaron Rodgers, they, they laid that egg in week one. Just looked like absolute dog shit. And we have seen what makes the Packers good in the last two weeks the first thing the Aaron Rodgers Devontae Adams connection is unfucking believable it's the best connection in football still I don't understand how Devontae Adams kept getting so open in that Sunday night football game against the Niners because everyone and their mom knew that's where Aaron Rodgers was throwing it to I guess Aaron Rodgers mom probably didn't know because he doesn't talk to her and he hates her but I guess that's another thing but the other thing of why we we shouldn't have overreacted to the Packers loss in week one. I don't think we did too much here on the pineapple couch, but um, we've seen how shitty this division is. The bears are a dumpster fire. Lions are a dumpster fire. The Vikings, the Vikings could be three and but they Viking it up. They Kirk cousin it up. I'm kind of high on the Vikings a little bit this year. I think they could be a wild card team, but I do think that the Packers are going to win this division. No questions asked um because the bears suck lions suck and the vikings can't beat the packers so the vikings would be maybe the last wild card team in i'm just a little i just think that the justin jefferson kirk cousins adam thielen combination is actually pretty fucking great and that's not a newsflash but the way the uh, vikings offensive line has looked i wouldn't rule them out of a wild card but i would rule anyone else winning this division besides the packers the packers are going to win this division Aaron Rodgers is going to have pretty much, I think, an identical year to last year. He's going to be in the MVP race, and he's going to lose in the divisional or AFC or uh, NFC uh, championship round to the Rams or 49ers or Bucks or 
yeah, like maybe even the Cardinals. I don't know. I don't trust the Packers in the playoffs. But that is that. Uh, let's go for Big Ben. Big Ben, you look terrible. I just want everyone to give Big Ben as much shit as you motherfuckers gave Philip Rivers, who didn't, he wasn't washed like Big Ben is. Big Ben cannot play football anymore. And you guys came like fucking the, with the wrath of Satan at Philip Rivers, whose team made the fucking playoffs. And he did not look washed. Yeah, he's slow, but he was always slow. Big Ben is done. He looks like shit. Najee Harris, though, in fantasy leagues, great person to have because that's the only guy that Big Ben can throw the fucking ball to because he can't throw it that far down the field and he can't stay in the pocket long enough for receivers to run deep routes without falling over. I don't understand why the Steelers weren't bigger buyers in the Gardner Minshew market. And I know he just got traded to Philadelphia, and shit, Philadelphia, I think, is a dumpster fire as well. So you might want to hold on to Gardner Minshew if you're Philadelphia. But I'm trying to get Minshew if I'm the Steelers. I'm looking for any sort of backup. I don't think I want to go the Mason Rudolph experiment again, but I would certainly... I don't know if I want to say I'd go get Cam Newton. I probably wouldn't. But I, why weren't the Steelers more involved for Teddy Bridgewater or some Sam Darnold? I think they just really missed out with some opportunities for, to try to hold on to another year of Big Ben. But who knows? Maybe they suck so much this year that they draft a high quarterback. But um, Mike Tomlin doesn't really have shitty years. I believe he's never gone under 500 as their coach. Um, so, yeah, Big Ben, it's over. It's over. Um, and I think that... We have a fascinating division race brewing up there in the AFC North, surprisingly. Um, you got the two teams that going into this year that we thought would be competing for it were the three. We, we had the Steelers in there as well, but we I was mainly on the Browns. Um, I didn't I thought I thought a little low on the Ravens because of all the injuries we've seen. But now that we've seen Pittsburgh, I, I think the Ravens are 100 percent in this race to win this division. And I also think, I mean, Justin Tucker, shout out to you, took that to beat the Lions. Let's let's keep that in mind. But I think the Bengals also might have a chance as well, guys. Yes, it was the Jaguars they beat. But wins are wins in the NFL. And Joe Burrow, he is no Justin Herbert. But I like the creativity in the offense that Zach Taylor, I believe that's his name, is running there in Cincinnati. And I think Joe Burrow is going to be a good NFL quarterback. Jamar Chase is electric. Their tight end played great last night joe mixon i'm not a big fan of but the Bengals are a serious threat to maybe have a they're probably a year or two away and we could see them maybe make a little jump and get there a year too early i'm not the bank the Bengals are going to do no damage in the playoff folks but i wouldn't be um i think that they are going to stay relevant this year and that this isn't just a fluky start but i, I mean they beat the bears they beat the jags so it's tough it's tough but Let's move on. Number five. So this is about Deshaun Watson. The dude should probably go to jail. I mean, if if what's true is, yes, he should be in prison and should never play football again. But the buzz around him is certainly heating up. I have no news to report to you about the, the lawsuit or anything like that. I don't know. But I do know, like Jay Glazer's reporting, that teams around the league are starting to, the, the Texans are more willing to answer calls and kind of, make a move potentially now that some time has gone by. And so if you're one of the teams that is going for him, I guess you're assuming that he's not going to face that much legal trouble trouble or any. And those two teams that have been out there are the Dolphins and Eagles. 
the Dolphins. What does this tell you about the Dolphins that they're the fact they're interested in Deshaun Watson with all that baggage? That they do not believe in Tua at all. They don't. Is that fair? Maybe. Maybe Tua isn't that good. I have never been that high on Tua. But maybe it's not fair. It's pretty young in the process. He was hurt last year. Didn't start the whole season. Um, or he came in hurt uh, from the hip injury he had his, at Alabama. And then he, him and uh, Fitzmagic kind of both played a little bit last year. I just think it's a little too early. Or actually, no, I don't think it's too early. Fuck it. I, I don't think Tua is going to be good. So if the Dolphins are trying to get Deshaun Watson, they think the same thing. The other thing is that the Eagles have expressed interest in Deshaun Watson, which this shouldn't be a mystery, but they clearly don't fully believe in Jalen Hurts. I thought I was going to have to eat crow um, after Jalen Hurts had a good start, but it was against the Falcons. And now I've seen enough to the point where I don't think Jalen Hurts is good again, and I'm confident in that because that's how I felt going into the year. So I'm confident that he isn't good. And if they're interested in Deshaun Watson, folks, that tells us the same damn thing, that they don't think he's good. So that could be interesting. Maybe free up Gardner Minshew. But the other team we should mention in this is, shit, we were just talking about the Steelers with a washed Big Ben. Do they roll the dice? Big Ben doesn't have a exactly clear legal history. They didn't, they didn't care too much about what happened with him. Again, I don't know if that's fair to compare because I don't really know what's going on because they won't tell us and we haven't learned anything. But Big Ben, maybe he's done. The Steelers go for Deshaun. And then when you try to think of sleeper teams that could maybe get in the mix for Deshaun Watson, I mean, if the Bears did something crazy, would that surprise any of us? No. But then you look at the rest of the league. I, I'm just, I don't, the Saints, I, I doubt it. The Falcons, I doubt it. Um, so we will see. Um, that has, those were my five biggest takeaways from the first three weeks of the NFL season. We will be right back with, um, I'm going to read you guys just the most insane Facebook status of all time. Nothing about, like, the message that's in it is fine. Like, yes, we can, we can, we all want to love each other. But just, you'll, eh, whatever, we'll just, I'll read it to you. We'll be right back. All right, so I'm not even going to say an opinion about anything. I'm just going to read this, and you guys can decide how fucking crazy it is. So this is a Facebook status from this woman about how she's proud of her son. Today, I asked my eight-year-old what he wants to be when he grows up. His answer, I want to be an ally. I was confused. Maybe he learned about the Axis and allies in school. So I asked him, you mean you want to be like a soldier? First off, I'm gonna jump in there. It's an absurd question. Back to the thing. He looked at me with a pitying smile. What a silly mom I was, and said, no mom, I want to be an ally to the African Americans, the Latinx, the Pacific Islanders, and the LGBTQ2 plus community. I want to be an unconditional support for all disadvantaged minorities and marginalized communities that need somebody to stand by them. That's what I want to be when I grow up. Eight-year-old. Eight-year-old. The mom goes, I was choking back tears of pride when he told me this, but I know kids can be fickle. Last year, he said he wanted to be an astronaut. So I asked him why exactly he wanted to be an ally. 
when I was eight, I wanted to be Spider-Man. Still do. All right. He schooled me good, she says. This is what the eight-year-old, eight-year-old, eight-year-old said. I don't want to be an astronaut. How can I be so selfish as to want to leave the Earth when it's such, when it's in such horrible state? I don't want to be a doctor. How can I keep healing bodies when it's society that's sick? This is the best line. I don't want to be a lawyer. How can I strive for justice through a judicial system that is inherently racist and oppressive? Has an eight-year-old ever used the word inherently? Think about it. And it ends. No, Mom, what I want to do for a living is a whole different matter. What I need to be is an ally. And then she ends it with, Kids, all you can do is teach them the best you can, because before you know it, they're the ones teaching you. I would bet $10 billion that conversation didn't happen. What eight-year-old uses the word inherently? All right, that was a side tangent. We'll, we'll get back to uh, sports. All right, uh, back in the world of sports, we're going to talk quickly about the Ben Simmons drama in Philadelphia. So, folks, I mean, he's he's asking his he doesn't want to go there. He's asking for his, a trade. Four years left on his contract. Not going to show up to training camp um, today. He had to show up, or he wasn't going to get paid eight million dollars or something. He did not show up. The belief is that he can make that money back when he is traded from that team that they would pay him. Um, and so, Simmons has kind of complained about his offensive fit in Philadelphia. Which is, uh, I, I do kind of understand, in a way, him paired with Embiid, I don't think is a perfect pairing by any stretch. Like, I don't think that in a perfect world, those two pair perfectly together. But you know what? The world's not perfect. The NBA is not perfect. And sometimes you have to make do with what you have. Those two are elite enough to, in my opinion, be the two best players on your championship team if Ben Simmons can grow a pair like I don't know really what it is with him he posts all these this footage of him shooting threes in the offseason and he never does it he has the worst free throw rate I think since Shaq in the playoffs he doesn't shoot the wide open layup but he, then he talks this big game off the court and frankly he acts like he's he's always been compared as like he could be LeBron 2.0 which as much as I hate LeBron it's kind of insane to say that about someone because, like, I mean, what? I, I don't know if we're ever going to see another LeBron. And so Simmons acts like he's LeBron or should be respected like LeBron when he hasn't done any of the shit LeBron's done. LeBron's won the championships. He's won the MVPs. He's hit big shots. And Ben Simmons kind of is a lot of hype, in my opinion. But there is a lot of potential there. So if you are one of the, these teams, like, that has nothing going on right now. I do see the why you would trade for Ben Simmons, but I just think that he's kind of a prima donna baby about everything, and that's kind of what I wanted to say. And he's talked and complained all this shit, and Joel, for the most part, has been encouraging and wanting them to come back. But there's this one quote that Joel said um, that I really, I really want to uh, 
to highlight. So Joel Embiid says, I feel like our teams have been built, whether it's the shooting need or stretch five and all that stuff. I feel like Simmons always had it here and we still have it. And he, then he listed all the three point shooters. They've all his, our teams have been always built around his needs. Quote Joel Embiid. Then he goes on to say, it was kind of surprising to see Embiid said of the report. We'll say that even going back to the reason we signed Al Horford, we got rid of Jimmy, which I still think was a mistake, just to make sure Simmons needed the ball in his hands. That's the decision they made. Like I said, it is surprising. Both things true. They signed Al Horford to get the shooting that Simmons didn't have, and they got rid of Jimmy Butler because they wanted to give that primary ball-handling role to Ben Simmons. I mean, that looks dumb now. Even though Jimmy has been a little injured, I would way rather have Jimmy Butler than Ben Simmons, and I don't think that's a hot take by any means. Um... So it's going to be very interesting to see, guys, how this whole Ben Simmons thing really works out because it's kind of an unprecedented situation, and it's fascinating because it's these two warring parties of the clutch sports, which led by Rich Paul, are, are like the biggest agent in the NBA right now, probably the most influential. I mean, obviously having LeBron helps, but clutch sports has been a huge part of the player empowerment era and that's kind of colliding with daryl morey who's this analytical gm who doesn't really give a fuck what you think or how you feel and he's gonna do what he thinks is right for the team and so it's just kind of like it's a fight it's like a fight in between two immovable objects almost and so who wins this who wins this standoff should be fascinating um and it, it, to me, it, I don't see a way Ben Simmons wins this because he wants very selected places to be traded to. He's not going to the Lakers. I don't think he's going to the Clippers. And I don't want him to go to the Warriors, but I guess those are his three big three, maybe. If you're the 76ers, you have no incentive to trade him to one of those teams if you can get a better deal somewhere else. So, because it's not like he has one year left on his deal and the team that's trading for him is going to be like, oh, well, he doesn't want to re-sign here. It's like, well, you have him for like three and a half years. So, that is something to consider with Ben Simmons. Let's now talk about Peyton and Eli. So, Peyton and Eli have been doing the Monday um, night football games, the broadcast on ESPN2, and it has been absolutely electric. I think that it is kind of a breakthrough in sports broadcasting. Gets rid of the suits. Gets rid of the unnecessary sideline interviews. Gets rid of all the dumb graphics that they make and the cutaways that we don't give a fuck about. You just get dudes watching football talking about it. And I love it. I like the guests they bring on. I like the free-flowingness of it. I like that Eli Manning gave the two middle fingers and had to say he was sorry. I like that Peyton Manning's drinking a beer in a red solo cup i like having gronk on and i love when you get the quarterbacks on as well to talk football and they can really go into it and i find it a lot more interesting than whatever stupid pr stories the regular announcers are talking about um and so this gave me an idea of let's just make every nfl broadcast two quarterbacks or not two quarterbacks two nfl players and this um obviously isn't going to happen so i don't really feel bad but i would like to say i do really like jim nance and i don't mind joe buck so this isn't like a, i hate them i want to replace them this is more let's just talk about football and let's 
what's well, and ESPN's obviously been the worst broadcast for a while, so maybe it stands out for a reason on this channel so much. But let's just imagine a world where we have all player announcers, and here's what I got for you. So you got Peyton and Eli on ESPN, right? For the best one, it'll be on CBS. You're gonna pair up Tony Romo with Philip Rivers. Two quarterbacks, just like Peyton and Eli, who are crazy about the game. Rivers Romo would be electric. Fox then. Akib Talib. He does work with Gus Johnson now. I think Akib Talib is a fantastic, fantastic color announcer. So you pair him with either Donovan McNabb, maybe Kurt Warner from NFL Network. I don't know. I like having a quarterback there. But Akib Talib has been great. And so I think if you had a defensive player and an offensive player, that combo could be good. Hell, you could maybe do all three of them. But I'm just thinking in twos right now, folks. NBC, they just got Drew Brees. All right, so who should Drew Brees pair up with? Three suggestions. Alex Smith. So I think you pencil in Alex Smith. Drew Brees and Alex Smith. Then I want to do a three-man broadcast for NBC. Give me Ray Lewis or Troy Polamalu. Mm-hmm. Give me a defensive player. Give me one of those two guys. And it'll be like a three-man booth team, not somebody on the sidelines. That's what I'll go with there. And, I mean, just all players on all broadcasts would just be fantastic, even if it's just an experiment for one week at a time to start it off. But I just think the Eli and Peyton thing has shown us a new way sports broadcasting can be taken because every time they try something new like this, it, like, never works. So to see it work is pretty cool. Let's now jump into NFL power rankings after the first three weeks. I'm not giving out mine. I'm going to go through what NFL.com has and see if I disagree anywhere. I might do a power rankings in a week or so with Big Dog or something, but um, let's check in on it. So, yes, the Rams are number one. We agree with that. I agree with that. The Rams should be the number one in power rankings. At number two, they have the Bucks. Um, shit, they won the Super Bowl. I don't, I don't think that's too... I, that's just one loss to the number one team. I'm fine with the Bucks being at that two slot. Three Packers, four Bills, five Ravens. I don't understand why the Packers are above the Bills. They both laid stinkers, and I think the Bills are better than the Packers. So I would say that the Bills should probably be at three, and um, Packers at four. Ravens at five? Um, shit. I mean, yeah, they beat the Chiefs. It also, though, took a 66-yard field goal for them to beat the Lions. Um, I mean, you have them right there, the Chiefs at 6, Ravens at 5. Chiefs, though, are 1 and 2, so I do think you reward the Ravens there. 7 is the 49ers. There's just that faith in the Kyle Shanahan system, guys. That's what it is. 8 is Browns. Shit, I might have the Browns a little higher than this. I mean, I'm not... I just think that they're a very complete team, and um, I think that with the injuries that Baltimore has and Cleveland always plays KC tough so I, I could see the Browns a little higher but I'm not I don't have two problem with eight nine the Raiders three and oh ten the Chargers two and one eleven the Cardinals three and oh twelve Broncos okay so what does this tell us it tells us that they don't they still really don't believe in the Broncos three and oh Arizona Cardinals getting the 11th rank don't you think like that that's kind of weird i i i'm fine with the ranking because i think that's where they are but with the hype level they've had it's surprising that you throw the cardinals at 11 and the raiders at nine or the niners at seven you would think i think that a lot of people have been super hyped on the cardinals so i kind of like that they're, they're holding off like me 
Um, Raiders Chargers at 9-10. I mean, you got to have it this way as of right now. The Raiders are undefeated, and these two teams are playing, so you assume whoever wins this game will move up of the two, obviously. I like the Chargers. I like the Chargers there. Um, let's see if there's anything else. So, I mean, another undefeated team at 13, the Carolina Panthers. Um, I think they're probably better than the Broncos, but I don't know. Cowboys at 14. That's also weird because you'd think that um, these people are like love to suck the Cowboys' dick, so you think they'd be higher. But I, I don't know. The Cowboys, in my opinion, are probably better than the Broncos. They are probably better than the Panthers, and they might be better than the Raiders. I don't know. That remains to be seen. Titans at 15. Titans will. Titans are just as good as teams seven through thirteen. If they, I mean, the wide receivers, wide receivers being injured, AJ Brown and Julio Jones kind of actually does change that. So, enough rambling. Vikings at sixteen. I don't know, folks. Let's just start betting on the Vikings a little more. I think they'll be good. Let's go to NFL Week Four big games. Big games. Raiders at Chargers. Monday Night Football. We talked about this a bit. Um, I expect this to be a high-scoring affair. The Raiders have dealt with some injuries in the backfield this season, and I hope their run game suffers because of that, because the Chargers' run defense is a concern to me. Um, and Waller becomes very dangerous if you have Henry Ruggs running insane, so you hope that the Chargers, with their good secondary, can manage that. I mean, you maybe throw Asante Samuel Jr. on Ruggs, and then I'd straight up just match Derwin James on Darren Waller. Of any safety in the league, he's a damn good choice to have someone try to do that. I like the way the Chargers handled Kelsey last week. He still had got his, but it's pretty hard to not let Travis Kelsey get his. So um, it's a huge game. Bias pick, obviously. Go Chargers. I think that this is a statement game for Justin Herbert and Brandon Staley. Um, a home game where there will be definitely more Raiders fans. So there's that. The other big game, Seahawks at 49ers. The Seahawks, folks, could fall to 1-3. Holy shit. Holy shit. Do we... Are the Seahawks a team that could fall to 1-3 with Russell Wilson? Remember he was asking out this offseason? Do we start hearing about shit like that again? Or do they write the ship here with the 49ers? Um, when we get to best bets, I'll talk a little bit more about this. Um, I think the game will be super close, so might be taking Seattle in the points. We'll see. Cardinals at Rams. Here it is, Cardinals. Here is your chance to be considered legit. They have you at 11 in power rankings. You're undefeated. You feel disrespected. Here's your chance. Here's the best team in football right now at the Rams. If the Cardinals can beat the Rams, that is a ginormous statement and really a testament how good they can be this year. I really like the Rams in this spot because I do think the Cardinals are somewhat of frauds, but so far they're 3-0. I've been wrong. Um, next game, Bucks at Pats. Brady's reunion. Um I don't think Tom Brady's going to get booed in New England. Like, I really, really don't. The dude won six fucking Super Bowls there. I would be... I guess I wouldn't be shocked because it's sports, but it's not like he went to the Jets or to the Colts or to a big rival. He went to the Buccaneers. I think the, the Patriots fans still love Brady. And if anything, I think they kind of blame Belichick, not Brady. But I could be wrong. And you've obviously heard so much. Everyone's talking about that. Um, last game that I would consider a big game is Browns at Vikings. Why is this a big game? Because I think the Vikings are actually legit this year. Not legit, legit, but I think they're. I think they should be taken more seriously than a the rank 16th in the power rankings. I do think they are definitely a threat in the NFC to get a wild card spot. 
because I just really like what the offense can do. Dalvin Cook missed last week, and you would think, shit, that's the second best, third best running back in the league. Well, Alexander Madison comes in, and that offensive line and offense is good enough to where the ball keeps rolling. The Browns' defense will be a big test for that offensive line that I've been talking highly of for Kirk Cousins because Miles Garrett is a monster, and he made Justin Fields' life a living hell. So that's where that game, I think, will be won. Um, the Browns do have a good secondary, but you're getting tested. You're going to have to deal with Justin Jefferson, probably the best young wide receiver in the league, as well as uh, Adam Thielen, who is Mr. Consistency, one of the best red zone targets and has been for the last five years. Those are the big games. When we get back, I'll just go over all the lines and give you out my best bets for NFL Week 4 on Episode 118 of the Pineapple Couch. All right, now let's jump into the NFL Week 4 slate. Let's go through all the games. Then I'll give out best bets. Your gambling preview. You're welcome. Panthers at Cowboys. Cowboys favored by 4.5 points. Get the Panthers' money line at plus 175, and the over-under in this game is 52 points. What jumps out here? This is going to be a tough game because this will answer, I think, how legit the Panthers are. No play there really for me. I'll get to my plays at the end, though. I'm not going to interrupt this. I'm just going to give you guys the slate. Browns at Vikings. You get the Browns are favored by two in this game. Vikings money line at plus 115, over under at 51 and a half. Lions at Bears. You get the Bears are favored by three in this game. It's going to be a game time decision for Andy Dalton or Justin Fields, according to Matt Nagy, as of today, Friday. Um, you get the Lions money line at plus 125, over under in this game, 41 and a half. A lot of faith in those offenses. Next game, the Houston Texans at the Buffalo Bills. Big spread, big spread. Bills favored by 17 here. Uh, you get the Texans money line at plus 800, over under here, 47. I love the points. I love the points. Um, next game, Indianapolis Colts at the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins favored by two here. Jacoby Brissett, again, presumably. Colts money line at plus 110. And the over-under in this game is 42.5. The uh, Colts are an ugly team. They somehow play close games, though, so we'll see how that goes. Kansas City Chiefs at Philadelphia Eagles. Chiefs favored by seven, coming off back-to-back losses. How crazy would that be if the Chiefs lost three in a row? I don't think it's going to happen, though. You can get the Eagles money line at plus 260 if you want to. And the over-under is 54.5. Titans at Jets. Titans favored by six and a half against the winless New York Jets. Jets, you can get their money line at plus 230, over under in this game at 44 and a half. Washington football team at the Atlanta Falcons. Football team favored by a point and a half here. You get the money line for the Falcons at even, as well as the over under for this game at 47 and a half. Giants at Saints, a lot of wide receiver um Injuries for the New York Giants. Saints have been kind of inconsistent. What to expect? They beat the shit out of the Patriots. Well, the Saints are favored by 7.5 here, folks. And you can get the Giants' money line at plus 275, over under 42. Not expected to have that much offense. Weird for the Saints team to have that. But that's what we're going to have to get used to now, maybe. Cardinals at Rams. Huge game here, folks. Uh, Rams favored by 4.5. They are that number one team in power rankings. But hey, both teams undefeated. You can get the Cardinals' money line at plus 175. Over-under in this game is at 54.5. And then another huge matchup in the NFC West, folks. Seahawks at 49ers. 49ers favored by a touchdown. Get the Seahawks' money line at plus 130. Over-under on this game, 52 points. 
big, big, big game. I'm going to come back to that game for a tease a little later, I'll say. Baltimore Ravens at the undefeated Denver Broncos, the Donkeys. The Ravens only favored by a point here, and you can get the Broncos money line at minus 105. And the over-under, folks, 45 points. Steelers at Packers. Could this be the end of Big Ben, part four? We'll see. Uh, the Packers are favored by seven here. Steelers money line plus 250 over under 45 and a half. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at New England Patriots. The Sunday night football game. All eyes on Tom as he debuts, makes his debut back in Foxborough for the first time as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. And Tom and the Bucks are favored by seven at his hold at his old stadium. You can get the Patriots money line at plus 265. Over under in this game, 49. Last game of the week, the Monday night football game between the Las Vegas Raiders and the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers favored by three here. They're at home, so they're really saying that this game is a pick 'em. You can get the Raiders plus 140 money line over under in this game, folks, 51 and a half. Kind of like that over with the amount of offense we've seen out of both of these teams so far. So what are B-Rob's picks? Well, I'm sure you all want to know. I'll start you guys off with a little tease. What I want to do is I want to take the Bucks from minus seven to the Patriots. I want to take them to minus one because I think that Bill Belichick is he wants to win this game. Patriots might put their best step forward here. Bucks defense hasn't looked great either, so it might be an opportunity for rookie Mac Jones. So I'll take the Bucks down to minus one. And then in the Seahawks Niners game, give me Seahawks plus nine. This allows me to think that the 49ers could still win this game, but the Seahawks and 49ers, they always play close games. So if I can get either side at a plus, like plus that many points, I will take it. So Seahawks plus nine. Like I mentioned earlier, Bills, Texans over 47 points. I like the Rams to beat the Cardinals. Minus four and a half. Going to take the spread. I'm not going to buy any points or tease it. I just like the Rams in this spot. I think they are legit. Um, and another bet for you guys, Rams to win and Cooper Cup over 95 receiving yards. You can get that at plus 125. I also like the football team minus one and a half versus the Atlanta Falcons. I think the Falcons are dog shit. I don't think the football team is great, but they're definitely better than the Atlanta Falcons. Only favored, only having to lose a point and a half here i don't mind that i'll take the football team um and here's a cool little parlay for everyone vikings to win versus the browns that would be an upset and kirk cousins three passing tds he's really let loose this season you can get that at plus 282 um and then for the Charmin ultra bowl toilet bowl game of the week um is i'm gonna declare it as lions bears and I love the Lions in this spot. I like them plus three or money line. I think Jared Goff and the uh, the Lions are a good 0-3 team. And I think they have a lot more offense than the Bears too. So I really like the Lions in this spot. Coming off a historic loss last week with the 66-yard field goal. That probably shouldn't have happened with the delay of game that wasn't called. But it happened. So I like the Lions to bounce back from the 0-3 start. Jared Goff to have a good game. Those are my plays. I'm very excited for NFL Week 4. Also, a great, great college football slate tomorrow. I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. Thank you so much for joining me on the Pineapple Couch. Stay tuned, though. Peter Gonzalez and me breaking down everything from Marvel's latest show, What If, on Disney+. Plus. We're going to get you ready for the finale. So stay tuned for that. Um, yeah, this has been the, the football section. God bless. 
All right, welcome back to the Pineapple Couch. Got a good segment for everyone here today. I'm joined by my good friend, Peter Gonzalez. It's been too long. We're going to talk a little what if and see what the Disney Plus animated Marvel show What If is building towards in their season finale and how that could possibly connect to other things in the MCU, in the real movies. So, uh, Peter, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a little hiatus from the Pineapple Couch, but we are back. Um and I have to say, we're talking about what if I've been incredibly pleasantly like surprised by how great it's been. I've very much enjoyed what if. What what are your thoughts on it, just kind of broadly? You know, I definitely was a bit more like, what is this when it started? More so than any of the projects thus far. But okay. now seeing it start to play out and things start to build on one another, I'm like this is making sense even though it doesn't make sense like it's making mm-hmm. sense in a sense that i can see where we're going i can kind of see the parts moving yeah and i think um one thing we knew about what if with that it because it, it, it's animated it allows the, the showrunners to really have a lot of creative freedom and also because of its like nature of being what if and how it's in alternate universes it allows them a lot of freedom to tell some very good stories so let's go into that the episode four i believe was dr strange supreme which i'm looking at the list here peter and before the most recent episode i would say most people were saying that that was the best episode of the season are you in that camp yes i think that's the one where i was more focused on what was happening i wasn't like mm-hmm. slightly distracted like i didn't i needed i thought one i was like tuned in i was invested yeah okay so i i think i'm with you i think that was probably the best one going into it um it i mean it was incredibly heartbreaking obviously and i think well, honestly a reason why it's ranked so high is because of the implications that a dark Doctor Strange could have in his upcoming movie, don't you think? Yeah, I think it it really showed, and I mean, the rumors have been that this is something that we will see in multiverse, but at the same time, it showed more explicitly how the what-if formula could affect something that we know is a super familiar property to us in a new yeah. way. So it wasn't like, you know, Peggy Carter taking the serum, which is more like beat by beat. You kind of know what's happening. Mm-hmm. This one was more like this choice was made and now this whole mess of things will happen. Yeah, they started uh, very simple with the Peggy Carter episode, which I I still like that episode. I think it's good and I know she's going to come back. So that will be interesting. But they've definitely got more um creative, more like kind of like, I don't know, not not ordinary. I'm trying to think of a word here. Well, it's not following the formulas. Yeah. It's not as familiar yeah. to us, especially people that are diehards that are watching these and, like, dissecting. Like I said, that first episode was hard for me because it's like I know that movie so well. It's such a high-ranking movie for me that it was, like, glitchy to kind of, like, pause yeah. what I knew to understand this. But the Doctor Strange one was... I think, as you mentioned in the intro, I think the closest one to what could affect our live-action MCU. And I think such a little a detail that I thought was super interesting was that Rachel McAdams reprised her role for Christine Ballmer. So that mm-hmm. was a very... Similar to how Natalie Portman does Jane Foster. So they're actually using specific... The, the correct voice actors with 
the characters they're playing that are going to have bigger roles going forward. I'm glad you mentioned that Rachel McAdams thing because there is a big rumor for Doctor Strange 2 that there will be a scene where Rachel, the Rachel McAdams of our universe, of, of Doctor Strange 1, is going to be getting married to someone. And our Doctor Strange isn't going to do anything. But Doctor Supreme Evil Strange is going to show up at that wedding. That is what I've read. That you know, I kind of dig that rumor. I, I don't think we've had a battle at a wedding since... Fantastic Four. You took the words right out of my mouth, which doesn't surprise me. I mean... But I that was that the, the second one, too, right? The Fantastic Four yeah, Rise of the Silver, Silver Surfer. Surfer. Yeah. Yep. yeah, wow. Been a long time. Um, Under the... Yes, the Doctor Strange Supreme... We're not going to go beat by beat through these because it's they're so kind of crazy that we're not going to explain them. It's not going to make any sense. You should watch them. But Doctor Strange Supreme, very, very good. I will say, surprisingly, I don't think the internet agreed with me on this. I thought the Zombies episode was right there with the Doctor Strange Supreme. I really, really liked it. I love how they use Spider-Man. I love the use of Wasp. I like how uh, Ant-Man was headless with the cape. They had the Hulk. They're replaying some of Infinity War, which I really like. The the Avengers as zombies, evil vision, like protecting Wanda, Thanos at the end in Wakanda with all this stuff. I mean, <clears throat> I really liked that episode. And that episode, more than any other besides the one that we just saw, is the one where I want a part two. Don't you think? That would be pretty sweet. No, totally, totally. Because I did not think I was going to like the zombie episode. I thought. Neither did I. It's like, I thought this would be dumb. But then I remembered I really enjoyed the film Zombieland. So for me, this was very much along the vein. And then it felt the most team up, cartoon esque, animated vibe. It had that. Yeah. It, that, also, that episode also just illustrated to me. The fact that I'm putting it right there, like when I say right there, right there with that strange episode, I think it just illustrates the power of Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Because he kind of, yeah, that's probably he's so I think good in that. That's the goal. And it's I not even Tom Holland, but that's it's Peter it, Parker. Right? It's, it's, that's true. That is the, such a huge takeaway because he really grounded the episode and really brought that perspective that I think the Peter Parker character does so well in the MCU. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you mentioned Zombieland, the way they have Peter kind of like talking about various horror movie tropes like he does with other movies, and I Mm -hmm. just thought that was really good. Um, The next episode I want to talk to you about is the Eric Killmonger episode. Yes. um, Which I thought was all right. My one thing I will say, I'm pretty tired of watching Tony Stark die. I mean, shit. He sacrificed sacrificed himself for half the universe, and this animated show just takes every chance it gets to kill him. Come on, let him live in one of these. Good lord. Um, I do like the idea of Killmonger, like, being there. That, that one's kind of like the Captain Carter to me. Of where it's like Iron Man 1, but it takes and substitutes things. And just some parts of that episode to me don't make sense, I guess, is my... Like, how the fuck are we supposed to, like, T'Chaka letting him become 
the Black Panther after like a 10 second conversation. I don't know. Uh, that just seemed dumb, in my opinion. Well, I mean, I don't disagree with you, which is not surprising. Um, I think that episode, the takeaways for me were that there was the battle scene where we kind of saw them say for T'Challa. Wakanda. Or yeah. Wakanda, that situation. I think kind of He's so nice... bad at saying Wakanda forever. Okay, I'm it... glad you noticed that because I was like, wait a minute. This is super cringe. I it was, was like, terrible. Is this intentional or is this, this is just, that just did not work for me. Um, so I think, yeah, but that battle definitely, I think, kind of shows what could happen in Black Panther 2. I think I enjoyed seeing, I just lost it, I had it. Oh, I think it was interesting for me that it, again, the animated series really shows that they're willing to sacrifice characters. Like, it's got some stakes because people are dying left and right in these episodes in a way that we don't do in the MCU movies, which I appreciate. But at the same time, it's kind of nice to mm-hmm. see that every the stakes like are kind of high. And I think it also highlighted that Killmonger dying in Black Panther 1 kind of took away an actual villain figure that we could have had yeah that's that's another thing about black panther good movie overrated by most people but the decision to kill killmonger was such an l it's like killing loki after avengers or not even avengers after after thor one after thor Thor one i think the loki one has been redeemed in a sense because of the routes we've taken and the places we've gone Oh yeah, I'm I'm saying that they if they kept Killmonger around, they could have explored that with him and have him been more of a complex character. Because I don't know, Killmonger is a guy I'd like to see interact with Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom wants to invade Wakanda. He knows Killmonger knows some stuff about it. Damn, that would have been fascinating. But maybe, maybe Doctor Doom just... brings him back to life. <clears throat> that 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 would be something, wouldn't it? Um, Mark of this right here. I said yeah. that, so let's see. <laughs> um. Party Thor episode. Not very good. It's I all right. think, again, I think that what it stood out for me was that it gave... Easter eggs? Maybe not Easter eggs, because it wasn't Easter egg heavy, but I think it, it, it obviously showed, you know, that Chris Hemsworth is a comedic, like, like spot on. He's good at it. But I think oh, yeah. it let show a different side of Jane, which I think people kind of need in order to prime for um, Thor Love Love and Thunder. So I think that's maybe what it served its purpose for. I think it kind of showed a little more dimension to her character. I think that's what I took away from it. It certainly added a bit of personality to her character other than kind of just like stressed out girlfriend. Exactly. And I think it's interesting that her and Christine are the most comic book trope girlfriend characters that are underdeveloped because everybody else Peggy Carter got developed Pepper in a sense got developed MJ is getting developed as well so it's like the character is getting fleshed out more but I think these two specifically were the most side characters. I agree I mean look at Hope I mean I guess she's the wasp so that makes sense but um, yeah I liked uh, here's my thing with this episode I like seeing all the different characters I thought it was fun um, I did like watching Thor, uh, fight Captain Marvel. I was very much rooting for Thor in that fight. Um, and the one question I have for you though is, so 
Thor wasn't banished in this world, right? So he wasn't taken, like, the hammer wasn't taken away from him. So when he puts the hammer on Captain Marvel, it shouldn't weigh her down at all because there isn't a spell on it where you need to be worthy to wield the hammer of Thor. That's just not, that's why it's like that. And so, like, when he just places it on her, unless it's just really heavy, like, it's Captain, like, there is no worthiness spell on Mjolnir. From what I took from the episode, if we're supposed to believe, like, because that's when Thor was banished in Thor 1, right? That's mm-hmm. when the spell is put on it. Am I, am I looking way too into it? No, I think that's, like, a glaring issue. That, yeah. Wait, I don't know why I didn't think of that until right now, but it's, like, that can't have happened. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, like, unless it's addressed, like, there's a specific reasoning coming forward, I think that's just a, a glitch that they had, because that's a, that's a crucial part of what makes Thor 1 happen, like. Yeah, so. It, it was never led on to believe that Molnir just existed in that aspect, that he's the only one worthy without that spell. And that's mm-hmm. supposed to believe that, but no one ever told us to believe that that was the case. And maybe they're just letting it be vague and not really address it because of its its what if. I don't really know. That just stood out to me. And I know it stood out to others. So um, one last thing on the Party Thor episode. I do not understand why Ma- Captain Marvel helped cover for him at the end. It was like they were fighting the whole time. And then all of a sudden at the end, she helped out a bunch. I, I totally thought she was going to be like, nah, screw you. But that just confused me because they didn't, unless she felt bad because he was getting in trouble by his mom, which is weird to be talking about on a podcast as two people in their 20s. But <laughs> like, you know what I mean? No, I, I, I definitely, this episode had the most con- questionable character choices. And it was, I think, one that maybe it'll make more sense going forward. But I just don't under, I didn't understand it either. I was just, it was a little, again, like a glitch. I didn't. I was like, wait, what's happening? It just, it didn't seem earned. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter, talk about a character that Marvel doesn't believe in. Holy crap, they don't believe in Captain Marvel. They, like, I mean, shit, they give an episode to Killmonger. And they will only put Captain Marvel in these what-if episodes as, like, a brief cameo in some spots. They've already changed the movie to the Marvels. I think it's a little bit of an overreaction to one movie of how they're kind of changing everything. Because let's be real, some of the debut move, like, I don't know, like Thor one isn't perfect. You know what I mean? Like, no. Yeah. And it's, and I, and it took time. Thor had to do you grow get, into do you, do you, you get what I'm Thor. saying though? No, that vibe, I do. Like, I do it. I think oh. again, too, because we were, I think because culturally there was that backlash towards it. And again, it isn't a perfect movie by any sense, but I don't think it's necessarily Brie Larson's fault either or her portrayal. I think she's a good Captain Marvel. I don't think the story really... Mm-mm. I mean, the fact was, that they took crap. Gemma Chan out of that movie and were like, we're going to recast you into something else is like, like we're almost kind of forgetting this movie exists in a sense. Oh, I mean, the, the renaming of the sequel is absolutely wild. That's the, the one that, oh, sliver of hope I had was in 
a certain scene the first um where where captain marvel appears in that kind of alludes to the future that i thought maybe showed promise of maybe we're kind of going in a different direction but mm -hmm. i don't know very well, i mean it's I, very they're also odd. kind of setting up monica and her not to like each other which i think is an interesting i think it gives something it gives character development there's some kind of conflict because I think when you have a character who is so strong, like yeah, the she most needs strongest, obstacles, and there really weren't any, and there really it needs to be a believable obstacle because there hasn't they, it hasn't been. I mean, I think that's one of the low notes of Endgame for me was that it was like why like I don't know I could oh, yeah good. yeah same 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 <laughs> oh, excuse me um next thing I want to talk about here is so at the end of Party Thor. We get the Ultron tease. And so let's go into the Ultron episode. Best episode. By far. Yes, I selfishly have a reason why, but yes, I think it was the best one. Um, what is your selfish reason? My selfish reason is that... And this is... I, is that Clint was the one that died instead of Natasha. Oh, gosh. That for me was that was that was it that that neat that, that it could have been a, the episode that have sucked but had that scene and I would have been we're good. That was a good scene. My boy Hawkeye uh, going out on a powerful note. The one armed Hawkeye thing I thought was cool. Is it just me or just Black Widow and what if just seem jacked? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, but not nothing bad. I'm just saying like she seems like she took the super soldier serum. Um, but that and was said, a... it's, and it's interesting how the central character she's been in a lot of these too, which has been mm -hmm. kind of like I thought we were kind of done with Black Widow, but then apparently not. Yeah. Um, the okay. So one thing I really liked about this episode is that it kind of addresses the problem of the Age of Ultron movie, or not. It can't really address it, but it, the Age of Ultron movie basically the Age of Ultron quote is like twenty four hours. 48 hours right like yeah in the in the comic books it's like three years that scene with clint and um natasha is like the so fucking similar to when in the beginning of age of ultron the comics hawkeye goes to save spider-man who's just getting the shit kicked out of him by thugs because he's trapped prisoner somewhere the way they did that i mean i guess it's hard to do it in a movie like to have that much time go on, but that's what makes Ultron such a compelling villain is that he was able to win and like hold it for a while. And so they kind of just took the wind from his wings in the movie. And so to see him kind of flex in this, I thought that was incredible. That's a good point because up to this point, the only substantial victory was Thanos. Like that's the only one that had a long term effect as opposed to. In a weekend, let's take this out. Or a couple of days, let's do it. Because most things usually are a weekend, maybe a week of conflict going yeah. on. It's never really the extent, as you just said. Which I think, again, you have that li liberty and creativity to do with mm -hmm. animated. Yeah, so I really like that aspect of it. Um, I get, We got to talk about how he cut Thanos in half. So that shows I mean... if Vision didn't get stabbed in infinity war we could have just ended this so much earlier so much could have happened earlier in it but we could have avoided so much but 
I still love those movies, but there's just so many things that could have made such a difference. I mean, yeah, it, uh, I thought I liked just the, I think that in a way I kind of liked it though, because it shows like Ultron's power, like Thanos. Yes. He's very strong. He's not the end all be all of villains in the Marvel universe. Ultron's right there. Ultron's fucking gnarly. And so if I just like how they, uh, expressed that and then we'll go into peter how ultron now begins to after destroying all these worlds fighting captain marvel yada 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 he goes after the watcher and so we get the watcher like interacting and fighting for the first time breaking through multiverses i mean fuck we see star wars planets we see mustafar and felucia confirmed it is confirmed or is it just yeah it's confirmed i'm pretty sure it's confirmed god are we really gonna I I just gonna, nerds are just we're just gonna we're the ones that are gonna explode having all of our universes combining into one yeah it, don't include game of thrones damn it i don't want to see Jon snow kill spider-man um okay um i think it's interesting though because this whole multiversal how he got with the watcher because theoretically that means he sees our live action yeah. people situation happening so does this mean Ultron is going to come back into the live action MCU that's a great question um I hope so but you can't introduce him back into the MCU with all that power because then I just feel like he'd I don't know it would kind of just halt the storytelling because he'd like kill everyone really quickly so you'd have to figure out a way to take away a bit of his power before introducing him. But on that note, because you mentioned how the Watcher can see our live-action universe, do you think there's a chance that the last ep- uh, not the last episode, the last like 30 seconds, last scene of this season is him finally looking at our universe? I think so. And if anything... I selfishly would love to see it happen where he's looking at, um, so I don't know, Spider-Man doing something that's helping break the multiverse. Something that's because as the the parent to several other things, including other movies, things are breaking together. Yeah, and I mean, we saw a lot of uh, um, shit happen. I mean, just with the shattering, like there was many, many multiverses that seemed to be affected by this fight. So that could like, maybe be an explanation. What? How is this also going to bleed into? Because yes, Spider-Man Three is going to be this multiversal movie, but the ultimate multiversal movie is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is something that I think because Spider-Man has such a it's it's such a cultural grab right now mm-hmm. with the potential for it to happen. I think people aren't really prepared for what is going to happen in. Doctor Strange, which if what if does well is it shows that they can do horror aspect well and for that to translate into the big screen is it'd be huge. Yeah. It'd be huge. So when we're looking at this last episode, what 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 are we thinking? What are we expecting to have happen in terms of I think one thing that both of us expect would be that we both think that we'll see some sort of uh avengers assemble moment of our different heroes we've met throughout the multiverse you know what i mean oh totally i think that 
if it means that Ultron's killed off their worlds and their the survivors that were plucked to save in this situation. I think that's something that will be interesting, especially if it holds true that those characters that we see in that assembled moment bleed into the live action, as rumors tend to be saying. Mm -hmm. So what I expect in this finale is I honestly expect Ultron to lose to that group. Maybe not be killed, but maybe he's still out there in the multiverse. But I expect that threat of Ultron to be settled because if that is a threat in Doctor Strange 2, I mean, that's almost gnar- that's gnarlier than Wanda, basically. I mean, Ultron going through multiverses yeah. with the Infinity Stone and like he can create matter and all this stuff like. So, yes, I think it just runs such a danger to being Endgame Infinity War all over again. Yeah. So you think, um, so are we thinking this is a cliffhanger to Doctor Strange? I mean, the fact that they already have a number two line, what if season two lined up is also interesting. So I I have to wonder, I think it will be a cliffhanger because every episode has been a cliffhanger that's been kind of like a what, where is this cliffhanger going? It doesn't really make sense. So I would not be surprised. I would be surprised if we don't have a cliffhanger, if we have closure. I see that we I what I expect to have happen is the end of this will be a conversation maybe between the Watcher, Strange Supreme, and Peggy Carter. And maybe the Watcher allows them to go into our universe or something. Because they helped sends or, them to our universe yeah, to war deal with something. Wanda. Maybe he knows about Wanda. I don't know. That'd be cool if they could interact, uh, tie it all in that way. Um, anything else on What If before we talk a little Hawkeye? Pleasantly surprised. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that since this, since this is our second to last series of the year, since they have moved um, the other one into 2022, I think this is, it's a good, it's been a different kind of, it's filler not necessarily filler but at the same time a nice little break from what's to come with Hawkeye because it's going to be more along the lines of what we were doing before where you watch you you rewatch you Mm -hmm. hyper analyze so this is a nice little bit of a brain break of just enjoying something that does have repercussions but it's not a yeah it's not as like biblical or like important to the yeah canon um, really quickly before we talk about Hawkeye trailer, I'm just saying this right now. What a giant L it is for Marvel to release Eternals before. Like, no one's going to give a shit with Spider-Man like a month away. Like, you see what I, I mean? Like, no one's going to care. We're, we're going to care. You got to take yourself, us out of it because we care. But the gen- even I am like, Eternals, just give me Spider-Man. So, yes, but I think that what's, what both Black Widow and Shang-Chi have shown, though, is that Marvel movies are still the box office performers. I mean, the fact that Black Widow was the biggest pandemic performer and now Shang-Chi has taken that title in a month. It's, I, think I think Spider-Man Eternals... will do better than all three of those combined. Oh, 100%. Because, and I think that will be, unless 
knock on wood, COVID throws everything for a wrench, I think Spider Man will be the movie to reinvigorate the box office and put it back to the place where it was pre pandemic. But I think Eternals has a strong potential to do well. I think when you have a cast that, that, that is that stacked, I think that helps. But again, it is hard when you're the movie before the movie. Yeah. Um, in terms of the Hawkeye trailer, we're going to do a much deeper preview for Hawkeye right before it comes out. But let's just get our initial thoughts on like what this series is going to be. It's going to be Christmassy. We're talking about the the relationship between Clint and Kate Bishop of him being like a father figure trainer, allowing her to become the next Hawkeye. It's going to tie in, Peter, it looks like, to a bunch of his crimes he did as Ronan that he might need to answer for. We've heard the Kingpin rumors. How are you feeling? What are you expecting? The trailer surprised me. I think that was the initial. I think it was not what I expected. And I think it kind of reinvigorated that the Hawkeye series is more interesting than originally suggested when they announced Hawkeye series. I, think, I like Jeremy Renner. Is that crazy? Because I feel like the internet hates him. No, I don't. I've never understood the hate towards him. I've never understood. I mean, I just feel like, again, it's a character that was underdeveloped. Yeah, I movies. get you saying you like Black Widow more than Hawkeye because it's like it's Hawkeye. But in terms of Jeremy Renner, like I think this is a great like I think the show will be inter- I think this will be better than Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, I don't I can't disagree with you there because again he brings that vibe of he humor. He does. He's good. Because like, yeah, it's not it's going to be interesting. I think the fact that we are again again it looks like teeing off towards Young Avengers also. And then mm. I just rewatched Black Widow a couple of days ago, and the post credit scene that ties into Hawkeye is like, you've got that aspect coming in. And so I think the series is going to be something very good. I think it'll be nice to be a good way to close out the year and see where that series leads us to. Do you think we see a tie in with Spider Man because it's both happening around Christmas time? I like want something to small. The case. But again, what year is this taking place in the timeline? Is the whole because what universe is it taking place in? Everything. So I know what universe. I'm just saying, like, it's so no, confusing now yeah. when stuff's going on. Well, because I think Eternals is what, uh, three years after Thanos? Or... Yeah, I think this takes place at the same time as um, Spider Man No Way Home, which is six months after. Which, when it gets to Christmas, will be because that summer, right? And he gets back from summer yes. vacation, and like we're gonna assume that's August, and his identity gets revealed, and I think that will take us to December, which I think is when Hawkeye lines up. That makes sense. We're gonna have to do a deep dive of the timeline. Yeah, we'll have to do a timeline. That'd be let's do that next episode where we can line everything okay. up and see the order. Um, also. Uh, in other news, Adam Warlock pretty much confirmed to be their casting him in Guardians 3, which isn't that much of a surprise. They teased that at the end. Um, and really quickly, I just want to say know, on I'm the actually... topic of Guardians 2, the reason that is such a good movie, I watched it recently, is the ending, the music. It makes me cry. The relationship between Yondu and Star-Lord is beautiful. Go ahead, Peter. One day, y'all you, 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 you will get the Guardians episode eventually. It'll happen. But um, I'm actually looking forward to Guardians 3. I, I did see the Adam Warlock rumors. I did see that it's going to have a, a 
focus on Nebula and Gamora's relationship also. So and Rocket things and Rocket potentially dying. So <sighs> I mean, my guy. I'm I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to it. But again, it's not like up there for me. Of like stoked to see this. Are you more excited to see Guardians three or Black Panther: Wakanda Forever? Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Guardians three or Ant Man three? Ant Man three. What the what what are we doing? What are we doing? I'm I think I'm looking forward to Guardians three more than Thor four. What? I would say in order: Spider Man, Doctor Strange, Guardians, Thor. I love the Guardians of the Galaxy. I More think, than what Thor Love and Thunder is looking like it's going to be? Yes. Natalie Portman becoming Thor? Come on. That's dumb. N- not the idea of Jane Foster becoming Thor is dumb. I think Natalie Portman is dumb. And so, honestly, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to Guardians more than that. Christian Bale will be cool. Um, Wakanda Forever? Like, not trying to be an ass. There's no Michael B. Jordan or Chadwick Boseman in that movie. That kind of hurts it. See, and then, I, like, Ant-Man 3, I mean, yeah, we'll get Kang, but sometimes watching an Ant-Man movie when Paul Rudd's not in a scene is, like, eating wood chips. Eating wood chips. I mean, I, I, mean, I just feel like Guardians is... It needs, it, it needs something to change it up. I feel like it's just been kind of... I want I want something a little bit different than what's been happening. That's my and I feel like the other ones will have the potential to do something different, something. And I mean, Taika is a genius director, so I feel like Love and Thunder is going to be a, a an upgraded, elevated version of Ragnarok. If that's possible. if that's true, then because Ragnarok's my favorite MCU movie. I have my official rankings right now. Is Ragnarok? I'm also for the official rankings. I honestly feel like you have to take out Infinity War and Endgame. I'm glad that we agree on that. Because it's, it's just, just like, how can bad. you say that that's not the two best? Because it's like, it just has everything. So it's like Ragnarok, Spider-Man Far From Home. Honestly, my Guardians movies are probably right there. Um, I mean, fuck it. Am I going to get blasted for saying I like Iron Man 3 more than Iron Man 1? I love Iron Man 3. And I, I would say that uh, Winter Soldier would be the next one I consider. Civil War, a little overrated to me. Too much going on. Um, Homecoming, not that good. I think I only like it that much because it's a Spider-Man movie. Um, yeah, I mean, w- what would your top five be? Ragnarok's in your top five. I would say... First Avenger is my top one. I would say Ragnarok's two. I would say Iron Man three is three. Let's go. I would say Thor: The Dark World. Civil. I would say Civil War is four, simply because of the fact that we introduced to Spider Man. And then I would put Shang Chi at five. Wow, I'm not there yet. Uh, so yeah, so my five, I would say Ragnarok, Far From Home, Guardians 1 and 2, and uh, Iron Man 3. Wait, I think I'm going to switch out one, I might replace Civil War for Avengers 1. I mean, well, we can't, I don't, are we, Winter okay. Soldier. 
maybe Avengers movies should just be banned. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's it's hard to if, rank these movies. Yeah, I don't know. It's not really fair to rank, to compare Avengers to Thor. You know what I mean? It's just. I mean, a lot I mean, I would throw, and I would honestly throw. Maybe I would put WandaVision in five and move. Oh, War I, I have Loki. I would put Loki close, closer. So then, yeah, if we're, cause I feel like those count as being included because WandaVision Loki would be in my top five. Would Loki be a top five? That's what it, like, I think I would replace Guardians 1 with Loki, which I know every, no one likes Guardians 2. I love it. It's just perfect to me. So I'm not saying it's not perfect. It's again, it's a discussion that has to be had to be understood. No, no I, I'm just saying, not even you. I'm saying the general public hates Guardians too. I mean, the general public has some. I mean, I do. That's true. There's the general public I, are a bunch of idiots. Iron Man Three is fantastic. Iron Man Three is severely just good. Like it's if it's if it's I have a choice, that's the one that I'm watching. That has character development. That has mm-hmm. sometimes watching an origin story over and over again is a bit much. Yeah, but you have First Avenger number one. I know. I forgot. I miss. I misspoke. It's actually um, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier would that. be my one. Then Ragnarok. If we're just doing movies, then I would. I mean, I don't know. My number four spot just kind of. I forget what goes in the four spot. But I know Shang-Chi is because I really like Spider-Man, but I don't know if I like Spider-Man as his individual movie or his parts that he's played in other movies. I see. I mean, I didn't even consider Homecoming. Just the Mysterio shit in Far From Home is what got that in the top five for me. I just thought that was so cool. You know, I think I'm going to put Homecoming in my number four spot because I forgot the ending, the ending. Yeah, in the I warehouse. I think that's. I think that was when I was like, mm-hmm. "Okay, I'm on board." Yeah, um, I think though it's safe to say that the next uh, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange will be in the top five after it's done. Because I want Doctor Strange in my top five. I need him to be in my top five, and I didn't. yeah, because his his original movie's not. It's, I like it. It's not a top five MCU movie. It's just I. It's not. I mean, it's visually cool, but it's you know. Plot, yeah, kinda. I know what you mean. Um, any other thoughts on the MCU in general? I mean, we'll tease 31 this. 31 projects in the pipeline. Oh, yeah. The Venom post credit scene. We'll I tease mean, it. We'll talk about it. it next week. But, but again, Venom, Venom is coming to the MCU. So cringe. So Did you see it? No. I mean, I seen it. So I saw <clears throat> clips of it and I saw trailers of it. And then I watched it and I'm like, Ultron was better animated than Venom. Yeah, I don't understand how Tom Hardy <clears throat> is uh, so bad as Venom. He's a good actor. What happened? I think it's What's just the mater- it's it's it, there's just a lot that's not working. It's Woody Harrelson too is like a top five favorite actor of all time for me, and I'm deathly afraid to watch him as Carnage because I don't want to rem- like have that in my mind. But I'm gonna see it. I have to. I mean, the first one was so bad, though. Oh my god! I just feel like there's no. I mean, first one was so bad. There needs. I don't know. There's no stakes for this. There's no. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe post credit set means there's stakes at one point, some point, but. I but just, not in his universe. 
Exactly. So it's like, okay, forget your universe. Your universe sucks. Let's move it back. Let's go to a universe that doesn't suck. And yeah, but then, yeah, I... is Venom gonna be in Spider-Man? Is the question also? It's just like hasn't been revealed that it's he's yeah, it six. Could, he could be. I just, I don't, I just, I'm. I've said this before. I sound like a broken record. We'll end it with this. I just, I'm fascinated, and I'm not that confident in how they're gonna establish a an a rivalry with uh, Venom and Spider-Man. Unless Tom Hardy, like, believes J. Jonah Jameson. He's, like, a devout J. Jonah Jameson guy, Eddie Brock. And so that's why I think Spider-Man's evil. Like, I don't see that conflict, how, how they've set that up. It's such an integral comic book relationship that you need to maybe start building on it in this movie. And if Spider-Man, maybe have him meet Eddie. Maybe something along those lines. But I think... That was the one thing that Spider-Man, one of the things that Spider-Man 3 got right was that there was a relationship between Peter and Eddie. There was something, there was this animosity, there was this conflict. What I think would be cool is, Peter, is what if they we get some sort of interaction between Tom Hardy, Venom, and Tom Holland, Venom, or Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and basically Tom Hardy goes back to his universe after a movie or so, and he leaves a bit of the symbiote behind accidentally which goes on to Spider-Man, and then it gets introduced to our universe as Eddie Brock or, you know, that's our Flash a, Thompson like a, they sometimes do. I think I could get on board with that. Because, again, I, I want, it, like you said, it needs to happen. It needs to be an organic way of happening. And I think, again, this Spider-Man, I don't think MJ should die in this Spider-Man. Because, again, I think that's, we tried that with Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, don't that do it. That was a fail. That was a also, fail. We should just say it because we talked about it. The Venom post credit scene, basically, it shows uh, Spider-Man just, like, he, it, like, something happens to the room. And basically, all of a sudden, Tom Hardy's in the MCU. It's the yellow universe. light, too. It's like the multiversal yeah. situation. And, and it's in another language, so I don't know what the heck they're saying. Yeah. Because, you know, the internet. And, and then he, like, sees the report about Peter, and he licks the screen. That's what I've seen. But it was in French, I think. I don't speak French. So I don't have the energy to look. I mean, I looked up what it says. It was like he looks. We hate him or tasty something. or something. Tasty and it's like, weird. But it's like, how do you hate him unless your yeah. symbiote exists over there too? And mentally, you're like linked. That's like he's telling you we hate him for these reasons. But it's like, does this take place after Spider-Man No Way Home? Is this take place before Spider-Man No Way Home? These timelines, I think that's the thing that's gotten the most confusing in the MCU that we didn't used to have, was that we're taking place in different time periods of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And we're out of order because of the pandemic, and that's causing confusion. Because even when I try to explain it to people, I'm just like, but this took place before this, but at the same time as this. Trying to try to explain Loki. <laughs> It's My like so technically Loki yet, so I'm gonna have to try that soon. Got to do that. Got to do that. Um, Peter, a pleasure as always. Next week we'll talk a little Shang Chi and some other stuff. Uh, we'll maybe do that timeline thing we were talking about. Um, so listeners, if you haven't seen Shang Chi, go out and Shang Chi, go out and see it. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, Peter, a pleasure as always. Great to be here. All right, we'll talk to you guys next time.